Hey, a couple quick show notes. Uh, if you're a first time listener, first of all, thank you. Uh, if you're like, what is this? I definitely encourage you to go back uh, and check out uh, the bet on yourself episode or meet the pod or really any of the content that we've dropped previously. I think it'll give you a good sense of who we are and what we're trying to do. Um, and then if you're a repeat listener, uh, I definitely encourage you to pick one of your favorite episodes and share it with uh, someone new. I also encourage you to leave a review. Uh, the more eyeballs we get on this podcast, the more lives we have the potential to impact. So uh, thanks again. And honestly, if you feel compelled to send our podcast to, you know, Black Effect, uh, you know, Charlemagne the God's podcast network or whoever else, uh, I, we won't fight you on that either. In this episode, we sit down with Lauren Feaster, who is the CEO of Professional Dimensions, which is essentially a professional women's association. Uh, prior to coming to Professional Dimensions, uh, Lauren spent time in varied roles, such as with City Year of Milwaukee, Teach for America, and she even served as an EMT on Milwaukee's north side. Uh, you know, to this point, she's really led a community-facing and service-oriented uh, life, just based on what I've been able to observe she may have even uh dj'd your wedding who knows <laughs> uh she also sits on a number of boards and associations and i won't name them all basically she is uh doing just phenomenal things uh for the city of milwaukee and as a result she rightfully so has received uh recognition for her efforts uh you know I can't name them all, right? But, you know, 40 under 40, Milwaukee Business Journal, uh, and most recently named a top young power broker in the city of Milwaukee. So obviously we're humbled and honored to be able to sit down with Lauren and hope you enjoy listening to this episode uh, as much as we enjoy talking to her. You know, I know folks like a roadmap, but honestly, we talked to Lauren about a multitude of things, right? Like we talk about leadership, uh, the fight for pay equity, the importance of service and the importance of, of community and being in community. And honestly, no matter where the conversation went, uh, Lauren had a thoughtful response uh, for whatever we uh, sent her way. Um, so hope you enjoy this episode and tell a friend to tell a friend. Well, thank you both for having me and thank you for doing this. Like y'all don't have to do this. Like y'all, you could, you could keep moving and have your conversations within your circles and keep elevating individually. But like, this is so important. Like I always talk about ordinary people doing extraordinary things, not extraordinary people, like waiting for extraordinary people or happenstance, you know, like making the league and things like things that just feel like once in a lifetime experiences. It's like everyday people have responsibility to really do things together. And when you do things together and with community in mind, um, that's like, that's how you make long lasting change. So mm -hmm. I appreciate you all having this platform and allowing me to be a part of it. Um, I, like you said, I'm currently my role, the, my main nine to five, mm -hmm. if you will, is the, is running professional dimensions. I'm the CEO of that organization. It's actually kind of, it's actually two boards. It's almost like two organizations. There's a C6, which is like the association side. So it's a membership organization. Um, and then the other side is our charitable fund, which is the C3. And the charitable fund was created a little bit after the original organization because we wanted to think about how women are building their philanthropic capacity and having a say when it comes to how money is being allocated. Because we know that there are a lot of issues that impact women 
that women might not be at the table making decisions about. So um, I like to give that context because sometimes people don't understand the depth of, of the organization. It's just myself and another young lady. So everything is volunteer driven. Um, for those who identify with the black sorority and fraternities, you know what that's like to pay membership dues and serve. Um, so that's kind of, that's essentially what it is. But this organization was actually created by women in, in 1978. Um, and they were kind of business women who, who really wanted to um, who wanted to come together and say like we have some advocacy to do we have to support each other we're navigating different sectors and situations but we're finding that there's some common struggles and so um, that's kind of how they came together started building awareness and started building a membership and then created an organization and had very active boards and presidents and leadership to get us to the point where we are today. Um, prior to that, like you named, um, before coming over to Professional Dimensions, I was with Teach for America, um, another national nonprofit um, that's really centered on understanding systems and building leaders. It's, it's called Teach for America, and a lot of people think about it as like a teacher pipeline program, but it's much more than that. It, it's just an organization that allows you to leverage what you know about the education system to understand systems generally. So people serve, um, they get to know, you know, what are the heart, why, how are students coming to school? When they, how are they showing up? Like, how are you looking beyond just the kid and the academics to understand how healthcare, how poverty, how workforce, um, how um, housing security all play into education, right? It's actually saying like, hey, this is much, everything that we're doing is much bigger than that thing that we're doing. Right. And like, how do you build relationships um, and influence and power to actually manipulate those systems? So that's why I love to teach for America. I love their theory of change. Um, but I did fundraising there. I was a chief of staff there. And prior to Teach for America, I was with City Year, which is an educational nonprofit that gets young people into the school building to basically learn and serve. So like you said, it's been about service. Um, and that's because I think sometimes people think you can't build careers or make money um, doing these types of things, you absolutely can. Um, that's always going to be a thing. There's always going to be the systems and corporations and government and places where you can like make money, but there's always going to have to be something to offset it. So I know the podcast has a, has a dollar sign for scholarships at the end. So I'm sure there's some discussion um, about money is important um, to you all. And I think it should always be discussed when you're, when you at least are speaking to our community um, and we can talk more about that when we get into into more of what PD is and what we advocate for as women. But that's kind of like from a work standpoint, that's been my my story. I actually want to take a, a quick step back and just dive a little bit more into uh, your upbringing and your background. Just, yeah. Are you are you from Milwaukee? What, what, what schools did you go to? Name yeah. Them? And just talk a little <laughs> bit about talk a little bit about your educational journey. Yeah, yeah I was born in Milwaukee. Um, but when it came time to go to school, my family moved to Mequon. And that was because my parents who went to high school in Milwaukee did not want us to go to high school in Milwaukee um, or to go to school in Milwaukee, I should say, because they felt like this, like the academic, um, the academic rigor and the general environment was not the best that we could do. Um, my parents were very passionate about education they really did feel like that was the baseline for for everything. So they took that very seriously. My parents went to, my mom went to Riverside. My dad went to West Division. 
um, I don't know if, what school that is. I forgot which one that is now, but um, I think it's I think it's school is it the arts. arts. Is it yeah, the it's arts? The okay, arts, yeah. it's the arts. Okay. Um, my dad was very very in community, so he was um, he worked for a labor union and um, helped get a lot of people elected, run a lot of people for office. Like he was in the streets, like advocating and fighting, you know, marching everything that he needed to do to. to to stand up for our people. My mom was in the corporate world. So she was um, at We Energy. She she started there and kind of ended there, worked her way up from coming in on like base baseline finance um, and ended up leaving as the VP of HR for We Energy. So I had I got to see her, if you think about the HR world and the advocacy that takes place there, I saw her struggle as well because she was trying to bring people beyond that managerial role or beyond like that baseline field service role and get them into like the C-suite. And that obviously came with its, it came with the fight. So I remember being at, you know, growing up around dinner table discussions that were like, you know, here's my struggle today. Here was my struggle today. Like, you know, we, we live to, to fight another day kind of thing and being able to see the corporate fight and the fight with our people. I would say like my dad, it's like, our, you know, those conversations that we have to have amongst our people about what we need to do, Um, you know, and then there's like the fight of like how we need to present and navigate the systems that, you know, that exist beyond us. Um, So we moved to Mequon because my, and I know that that was a struggle for my parents because it was like be in the heart of, of where we are and who we are, but also like that's not accessible here, you know, what they wanted from an educational standpoint. I also would say that my mom, she was great. Like she, they were, she was head of her class, right? She's, she's top of her class, amazing grades. But when she went to UWM, she was struggling with baseline entry level classes. So that's a, another reflection on the, the quality and rigor of our schools. We're, we're in this generation, I feel like fighting because kids aren't going to school, you know, they're, they're not engaged, et cetera. But even the kids that do go and do everything right by the book, like what you were saying, are still graduating and not able to compete. And so I think my parents saw that really early because this was, you know, I was born in 87. So we're going back, like, these are like early 90s. This is the, this is the truth about our schools. Um, Mequon was interesting. I was one of a few. Um, it didn't bother me as much because I felt like I split my, 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 um, years between my early formative years between Milwaukee and Mequon, but I thought that that was a really good experience too, because it was like, I went to school out there. I participated in band and sports and things out there, but so much more of my life was back with my grandparents, um, you know, Mill Road and Villard, like where I would spend most of my time being like raised and, and nurtured and supported. I went to camp, like YMCA camps, Deneen and all that kind of stuff. So it was like, it was like a nice um, blacktop basketball. I don't know. Some people remember what that was, but that was at McGovern Park. Yeah, my, blacktop, yeah. yeah. I helped my dad run that for a while. Like, you know, we get up early Saturday morning, wash the jersey, sweep the coat, sweep the courts, like hang the nets and stuff like that. So I felt like I had a very, again, service though. I was always, um, in those spaces. So um, I think that that really colored my perspective on education and like my commitment to community and commitment to service. So that was my like upbringing. So I went to all Mequon Thingsville school district schools, um, Wilson, Stephen, Homestead, and then um, leaving Homestead, went to Madison. And that was kind of like a natural path to, there were tons of kids that applied from that high school to go to Madison. Um, I ended up getting the Powers Nap scholarship um, Powers, Knapp, and Chancellors are scholarships um, that UW-Madison, a scholarship program that 
UW Madison created for um, students of color with good grades, basically. <laughs> That's like the requirement. And they were really intentional about building community with those students, knowing like that at the, a, P, a PWI like Madison that we would need a special community. And so people are always like, well, how did you, you know, did you like Madison? Like it's so white and all that. But I really, I had such a multicultural experience there because I was just in my space. Our whole floor was like people of color. Like we just did everything together. So I really didn't see the rest of campus. And um, I feel like there was pluses and minuses to that. Like culturally, it was, I think it was necessary to even get me to graduation. But I do feel like sometimes I missed connections with like professors and other students that would have probably helped um, in different parts of my life. But um, I got through it. And then that was when I, I studied pre-med in Spanish. Um, I had a blast to shout out my Spanish teacher because I just saw her last night for the first time in forever. Um, but Margaret, she um, was my favorite teacher. She was a black woman and she taught Spanish. And so I think that that's just a story of representation. It's I don't think that it's happenstance that I ended up majoring in Spanish. Um, because that was the class that I just mastered when I came out of high school and where I felt like I could see myself and where I felt affirmed. Um, and that was like my saving grace because I was studying pre-med and I was stinking it up. So I was, so I had to get out of there in four years and I, I knew enough Spanish to get a whole degree at, at the last minute so that I could get out of there. Um, and so um, I started studying I did some like post back work because I'm like, I got to get my grades up if I want to go to medical school. And that's kind of where I fell into city year because it was like, here's a one year program. I could do it while I was prepping for med school. I started working on an ambulance on the north side. And that's kind of what changed my life, like working on an ambulance on the north side, period. Like it was just like so eye opening. Like you hear stories and like, you know, you know, you know that there's inequities and you know that people are born with different sets of realities but like seeing that in person from a medical standpoint was like really life-changing like and all the jobs you think you can cut corners you don't think like someone's health or like life would be one of them but then I was seeing like all kinds of wild stuff on the ambulance and I realized like this is so much bigger than like healthcare. like it's so much bigger than just like health I should say like everything is reactive driven by capitalism like, I was just like, my mind was blown. And I'm like, I need to figure out more about what's happening in our education spaces, because I felt like the only way to get through stuff like that was to know how to play the game. Like the only way to get through this game right now, the game's not going to change. Like, we can work as hard as we want on the yeah. game, like it's going to shift. But like, we're going to make so much progress by actually learning the game and how to play it versus like, and that will change it the more yeah. that we get in those positions. But I'm like, we got to focus on educating our people so that they know because we not we can't just wait till the game changes for us to like find success. So that was kind of like what put me into the education space. So, yeah, I definitely want to talk about the EMT stuff. But yeah, just, just to step back just a little. How much mm -hmm. do you appreciate the experiences you had with your parents during that time? Yeah, so much. Like, I don't think I didn't know what was going on when I was in it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I didn't know I was campaigning when I was just going house to house with my dad and knocking on doors and passing out papers. Like I didn't yeah. know what that was until I'm going back like, oh, we were like getting folks elected. We were we were knocking doors like mm -hmm. we were I was an engaged citizen like at the age of four. Right. Or maybe he was just using me to get people to yeah. open the doors. Like, look at look at can't, my can't be my mad dad. at a, <laughs> a cute little black girl. Like, <laughs> right, like, exactly. 
you go open the door, you feel more safe. Right. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. so I think my parents were more present to it than I was as a kid, which was a privilege. Like I wasn't, I didn't know about crime because I didn't live. It wasn't when I went to sleep at night, it wasn't, that wasn't my reality. Right. I'm back home, but I spent my time. Well, unless I stayed over like, you know, grandparents' homes, but that's where my grandparents were and they knew their communities. And like you said, like with our, with our communities in Milwaukee, like it flip, it could flip flop any block or it, it depends on like where you are. And, and there's some really beautiful communities that are like right next door to like really challenging spaces as well. So I think I had the privilege of being there at a time when it was still decent. Cause when you go over when, if you remember like blacktop, like it was such a good energy, like it people was, came out was, like people was, yeah. people showed up everybody was proud like we had our teams they had like an award ceremony and blacktop always did like a they did like a leadership chat between the games so like it would be like the first round of games and then they would have like a community leader come and talk to this the players and then they would go play and um it was just like it was it was not it was needed in that space um and but i appreciate my parents so much for letting me see all sides like letting me have a couple friends in school letting me have friends in other places and you know i also was in jack and jill growing up so i started that when i was i was probably like late middle school like seventh or eighth grade um when i joined and that was something that they were trying to um they were like where are the other black kids out here in the suburbs right like so like how can we have how can we bring that group together and then be about service? And uh, again, still about service. Like I know Jack and Jill got all kinds of perceptions and a lot of them are right. But, but you know, Milwaukee, we always got our own version of everything. So it was a Milwaukee version. <laughs> uh, but we were just like, and I say that because I'm like, we were, we were very like a very humble and hardworking group. Um, and um, I think that exposed me to like Robert's rules and hosting our own meeting, being in high school and being in an investment club. Like you don't, you don't see that enough, not because we don't, not because we can't, but that was shout out to those fathers and those parents that wanted to like say, hey, no, we're going to get together. We're going to look up stocks like this is what this looks like. Let's pick stuff. You wear Nike. So next time we meet, come back with a report on Nike and let's see how much money you want to put in that stuff. Like being able to be exposed to that, like um, at an early age is beautiful. So um, one thing I, I credit my parents a lot to is a lot of parents feel like they have to be everything for their kids. And my parents were so like, yo, this isn't our strength, but somebody in our community has that strength. So you're going to go spend time with them. And that is like, we are not in community in that way. Like, I'm, like not everyone, but like, I feel like on the whole, like we need to restore our community. Um, we think we're supposed to be everything for our kids and we don't, we don't trust as much because the world's dangerous, but being able to have parents that were like, my mom was like, Lauren, I feel like you're creative. I'm not creative. So I have creative friends. You're going to go spend the day with them or go get in the camp. Like being able to just pass kids, you know, and let them experience yeah. different opinions, let them experience different lives, let them experience different homes, different sets of rules. Um, it allows me to be able to have, those are all like different languages that you have access to and different communities you have access to. So that's what I really, I really commend my parents on, um, whether they did it intentionally or not. <laughs> like that's, that, that's a big reason of, of why I feel so comfortable moving in different spaces. Talk about the process going from like Homestead to like UW Madison. Like, I guess like, was it, was it always pushed that you knew you were going to college or 
like, I guess, how was that process uh, when you were applying? Yeah, it was definitely like the next step is college and you need to get as much money for it as you can. <laughs> so I was applying everywhere, um, applying for scholarships everywhere. And then this like the scholarship to go to Madison came through at like the last minute. Like it was like it was like a last I think I applied right at the deadline because a friend of my mom forwarded her this information and was like, hey, have you all heard about this program? Which is why I'm also saying it here because it still exists. Powers Nap Chancellors like look into those um, scholarship programs if you want to go to Madison. Um, People is another big one. Um, yeah, people, people program, program. right? Yeah. Um, and so it came through at like the last minute. So it was like it, this is where you have the most money to go. This is this was um this was tuition was covered. So um, that's where I went. That's kind of how the decision was made. Um, and then I had to try to pick what I was going to major in. And like, I thought I was going to be a doctor. So I just lined myself up in the pre-med. Um, one mistake that I think I made, you could get more money. So there, for like the prerequisite for, for pre-med, there was like a biology degree or something like that. And I, there were a couple of places you could go to letters and science, or you could go to the College of Af Agricultural Life Sciences. Because there's no black people in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, they offered scholarships. So I was like, oh, let me just go get the money. But it really wasn't a community that was for me. Like, I think I would have been better in letters and science because there would have been advisors that had worked with students of color, you know, like just would have been better for me um, as a student. But I was in the I was in College of Agriculture and Life Science. And I like my advisor was kind of just checking boxes and, you know, less interested um, the thing with Madison, I felt at the time too, because it's such a research institution, a lot of the professors that are there are like research first and then like educators second. Um, whereas, you know, not everybody is a good educator. So it was tough doing pre-med at a, at a large school like Madison, because you're in huge lectures and it's kind of just like, you know, boom, 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 everything goes super fast. Um, but yeah, that was the transition. It was like found out at the last second this is where you're going. You got four years. You got to get out kind of thing. Um, but I definitely loved the program. I worked. Uh, I was an RA house fellow, they call him in Madison, which was a great way to offset like my living costs um, so that I didn't have to like really go in debt um, during college. Like I was able to cover everything through between the tuition scholarship, between like the small scholarships that you get, like, you know, a little, or some of our sororities and fraternities offer scholarships, you know, community organizations, churches, things like that. Um, and my parents, like all of that together, I was able to not have debt coming out of undergrad, which I think was amazing. Um, especially when I hear about some of the debt that people have. Yeah, for, you have no idea. <laughs> for, I think most of my debt came from law school, but that undergrad yeah, debt mm -hmm. ain't no, it, it wasn't a slouch. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, that, yep. I mean, and them, those loans are real. Yeah. They, they do yeah. come. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. I, think, I think, you know, I guess what was the, uh, the thought process? And I think you spoke about it a little earlier, just going into city year, like straight mm -hmm. out of college. Yeah, I, um, I needed another year because I felt like my grades were not competitive um, enough to put me in a position to get into a school that I would have wanted to. So I came back home um, and went to UWM to do some like post back. Like I think I took OCHEM again, maybe like statistics. I don't know. I took some courses that I needed to like get to the AB range and not the BC range. Um, so while I was doing that, I was like, I had heard about city year. Um, 
Um, Kwabana, Marcus J. Collins mm-hmm. uh, was a big recruiter at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I connected with him and Jason Holton, who was the executive director. And they were like, we have one seat um, left that we need to fill. It's a team leader position. Um, we think you would be great. It's just a year. Um, it was at a school that was like 99% Hispanic population. So they were like, so it was coming, having just majored in Spanish. I'm like, okay, well, it wouldn't be a complete waste of time. I get to kind of solidify and practice what I've been learning and practicing in, in college. So I was like, I'll just take this year and check it out. I'm also very interested in education. I, I wanted to see for myself what it was like in MPS schools. Like, so I, so I was going to an MPS school every day for that year. Um, so I could kind of have a better understanding of the disparities and like the inequities and what that looks like actually for the kids. Um, so that's how I got in the city year. And then I ended up sticking there uh, after that year. Is a city or like a teaching program? What exactly? Yeah. It's okay. a, yeah, it's a um, kind of, it's a, it, it targets at that time, I think it was 17 to 24 year olds. Um, it's like 18 to 25 or something now, but basically it's an AmeriCorps program. So it's like a gap year. You serve for a year, you can defer your loans. You can get a, you get a stipend that can help you pay excuse me, pay off your loans. Um, and your job is to serve it, to service and support um, schools that, that the organization has partnerships with. So we were all in MPS at the time, still are. Um, and the, the core members, which is what you're called when you serve there, it's like a team of eight to 10 that go into a school and they support like the, the academics of students, kind of like behavior. They might do some like behavior initiatives, work with the school to figure that out, get, get kids to school, focus on attendance. And then they're focusing on like their, their course performance. So like their, you know, math and reading, um, trying, doing small pullout groups, intervention, um, large school activities, almost like a teacher aid kind of thing. So they're there every day, but then they're also working on their own, their own development too. So like the idea is that after they do their city year or your service year, um, that you're ready, you're better prepared for whatever career or wherever you head afterwards. So like, it's called city year because just like a, any other year, like a freshman, sophomore, junior year, they say everybody should have a service year, like a city year um, in their life. And that that helps to kind of that helps to mold you as a leader um, before you go into whatever career you're in. So that's kind of what that program is about. Then I guess, you know, building on that question, I guess I'm just wondering uh, what kind of observations did you, did you have in, in that mm-hmm. role? Uh, what were some of the inequities that you saw that, you know, yeah. kids, kids were facing? Just talk about your time a little bit more, I guess. Yeah. So, man, so during my city year, that was also when I was working on the ambulance in the on the weekends. So it was like seeing the education system and then the healthcare system. I noticed that, well, one, there's the things that we hear about a lot, like classroom sizes. Even if a teacher comes with the best intentions and the most intelligent people, you can't manage, like, a whole room full of 20, 30 kids and expect them to really get the type of instruction and nurturing and care that they need. Then you talk about things like poverty, like what are people able to provide for themselves? Are kids eating before they come to class? Are they sleeping at a house? Like, are they home? Are they bouncing from house to house? Do they live in the neighborhood of the school or is that like a commute every day? Like things like that, that were just impacting just even kids getting to school. And then while they're in school, like, what is their capacity? Like, what what did they learn last year that's positioning them for the next year? Like, so you're trying to teach algebra, but people are still learning kind of like basic math. Like, how do you have time to 
to to catch up um and they're and like how are we building programs around that so i'm just seeing like the frustrations from all the different angles like and then parents who are either engaged or completely disengaged um what are what's provided by way of after school so i'm just like watching all these things that are different from when i was at homestead right and like when you're at a place and you're learning about how the taxes and property value impacts like the public education system right and then like when you are without something when you have when you're coming from a family of means it's like if our at homestead if our like pto didn't raise you know enough money it's like your parents will buy your basketball shoes or something like that right or like okay that's fine we'll just raise money and and get jerseys like stuff like that that you just like that doesn't exist so now this is an issue do schools even have sports like do they have can they hire coaches you know um budgets like all kinds of stuff and then you're seeing it all interact and you're like what the heck is going on here like what is not what is you you just it just like leaves you with a lot of questions about like how, look at all these things that are impact. We don't even get to academics because we're just worried about eating and living. And so um, I didn't I didn't like that. And I was really confused by that. And I think I still sit in that space. And I and I recognize the disconnect between education and like the business community, education and government, where a lot of the policies that are being made kind of like come to fruition in the in the classroom. And so being able to see that firsthand, like it was like kind of sad because you're like, now people don't even want to be in education. It's like a cycle, you know? And so it's like, we can't even find, like teachers are the most important job that you could almost have in your upbringing. And we can barely find people. I was even seeing like the inequities with teaching um, and what it takes to become a teacher and um, how that's keeping people out of the classroom. People can't pass these basic tests because maybe they never got formal training in phonetics and grammar and things like that. And so, um, it's just like looking at the systems, like I said, like you have well-intentioned people um, who want to do good, but there's different things keeping them in and out of these spaces. So that was tough to see. And then from an ambulance standpoint, it was just tough to like, just see people's miseducation around healthcare. Um, it was tough to see that healthcare is so reactive versus proactive. It's like, once you are yeah. sick, once you're sick, like beyond measure, that's when you start engaging with the system. Whereas like, mm -hmm. If you were educated and you knew you could you you had a better understanding of your body and what your body is telling you and how to advocate how to ask questions of your doctor to even have a um a provider like a consistent provider and not depend on nine one one for your your healthcare needs right like go to the doctor once a year um and then the type of stuff that people were dealing with like I'm getting calls for suicide attempts like you know I'm getting calls for for things related to diabetes, like um, lots of diabetic emergencies, um, sometimes just like basic stuff that's not an emergency at all, but people just don't know who to call, right? Like someone's someone's kid had their hand stuck in a in a balcony, and it's like they're like call nine one one. We're like, what are we? We can't do. Everybody's healthy here. He just is like stuck in a balcony. Like yeah. I don't know what to do for you, or like. Or you need to call, like, call the police department, or whatever. Or people just taking advantage of like the, of the system and like using it to transport to get across town, like, like making up something and then saying I need to go to Sinai so that you could get downtown, or making up something and then saying That's you need crazy. to go to Frey, right? So like you know, and then what that does to like people who work in the healthcare field is they start losing like, they yeah. think everybody they think everybody's just scamming, so then they treat people 
crappy you know yeah. like it's like they like whatever she probably just da, da 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 but she has like a real condition you know like it's like you get firefighters baking up people's vitals like you know it's just like it's just a mess and you're like I don't know it's it's you see the cycles and you see the system and it needs just like some disruption so that's why I say preventative care and medicine that's education everything comes back down to, to education um, that's why I'm pretty passionate about trying to now in my role with professional dimensions, bring more professional folks like back to this reality that this is like, this stuff matters and we have impact as people who are building these systems to like make sure that they're, that other people know how to play the game too and that we're making something that serves more people. I think the one, one thing that you spoke about as far as you know the healthcare system, I think there's a part that they just become numb to like yeah, that's everything, right. right? And they kind of just, you don't know what's a what's a, a a big deal and what's a small deal. You kind of just treat it as the same. And sometimes some people need more attention than others, although they might be frantic and they might not know how to communicate their issues. Like it, we're doing our, they're doing us, they're doing the person a disservice by just kind of minimizing it or overemphasizing it, right? Like yep. it's, it's hard to, I, I feel for it because it's hard to like, see that on a daily basis for me it was really about understanding that like we're so much the sum of like what we've experienced and and i have to believe and i believe this with every person if i was in their shoes and had experienced what they experienced i'd be doing the same thing that they're doing and so that really takes the judgment out of it unless you get to like unless you get to be mad or frustrated with actually like the world like the the hierarchy as it exists, like the system as it exists and say, how do I empower you actually in these few moments that we have while we're riding to the, to the hospital? Or like, how do I um, inform you and educate you? Or like, how do we educate each other? Because good medicine, that's usually the first questions that you're asking is like, well, what have you been doing to treat this on your own? Because you've been figuring out how to survive this prior to me being here. So it's really learning from each other and saying like, what's going on here? Like not being mad at these people for doing that, but saying like, what's true about their life and their situation that has them using these services. Like it costs maybe $800, eight to $1,000 probably now to take an ambulance ride. So why are you taking an ambulance ride when you don't need one, right? Because you're not paying for it and you're like, it's free for me, but it's just, you know, mm-hmm. trying to give people the benefit of the doubt and say, like, let's figure out what's what's broken about this. So it sounds like, you know, at one point you were still sort of thinking about medical school while mm-hmm. also balancing city year plus uh, the paramedic job on a weekend. I guess. Yeah. Uh, close the loop for me on like at what point did you say, you know what, maybe um, I need it here in the community versus continuing to pursue like the, the medical uh, aspirations. Yeah. Just walk us through that, that timeline. Uh, and then sort of catches up to where we are today. Yeah. So I feel like once I reconciled what I was entering the medical field for with like, what was the need, what was my assessment of the need and what I was talented at, I realized like at that point, pursuing a career in medicine felt more self-serving than it did like community serving, which is what I wanted to do. Um, It was just that that's all I knew at that point. Like I feel like growing up, it was like, you're a teacher, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, like these are the jobs, you you know, like very clear roles. I think as I, as I was in city year, I was being exposed to just like 
where there were different gaps. And I was like, okay, there's different ways to serve people. I can save lives other ways. Um, I can save lives by helping people save their own, you know, like by educating people on how to navigate these systems, they can save their own lives and I can empower people to do that. And, and with, through education. So that was kind of the pivot for me where I realized like, I think I could go to, like, if I wanted to go to medical school now, like I could spend time studying and preparing and that didn't seem like it had a, a cap, I guess. I feel like I, you know, obviously they say try to get all your education out before family and all that kind of kids and all that kind of stuff. But I'm like, I could go back and go to school if I really wanted to do that. But right now I felt like I wanted to take advantage of my youth. Um, the fact that I could be out, I had the energy to be out and be in community and make connections and observe. I, I, I felt that pivot um, made the most sense for what my strengths were and what I was seeing as the need um, in the communities that I found myself. Okay, I actually wanted to go a little deeper now into uh, professional dimensions. And yeah, exactly. You know what? What you know? I guess what is it? And then yeah. uh, just your role as CEO. Um, yeah, and what that entails. Yep. So, Women's Business Association is focused on building and catalyzing leadership of women, um, bringing it back to like the money. One part, one thing that there's a couple different women's organizations that are um, similar to PD in this in this. Um, in this ecosystem, but the one thing that I think unites us is like our fight around pay equity. That's really big. Um, we see that with not only the black community, but obviously with women as well, where we're making like cents on the dollar, like could be 50, 60 cents, depending on um, kind of your ethnicity and depending on your, your role um, or sector. But like, that shouldn't even be a conversation. Like why are people not getting paid the same for doing the same job? Um, sometimes even doing more of the job, which you'll see often, um, we look at a lot of the different studies. McKinsey does like a women in the workplace study, which I would direct people to um, just to check out, just to better understand how some of these inequities come about. So for me, it's it's like the same. That's been the theme from City Year to Teach for America to now Professional Dimensions is helping people understand um, their own role in making a more equitable world. Um, and that's what I really feel like I'm after at Professional Dimensions It's like, developing leaders, um, connecting those leaders, because that's the, that's the other side when we talk about systems leadership, like a key distinction is that it's collective and we don't have enough people thinking through the implications of their choices and how, how that changes other people's reality. So you can do things with great intentions and still be like screwing a whole another community because you don't know that community and you're not connected to that. So, and I think we see that happens a lot in business, we might just be thinking about the numbers, but we might not be thinking about what that does to like the local education institution or what that does to the everyday person going in to get treatment or going into the ER. So it's keeping people and women specifically who are at all parts of these, all, all parts of the system and all levels of like um, kind of entry and, and viewpoints um, and saying, hey, what are you seeing based on these decisions and how can we make this better for everybody? So that's kind of what PD is after from a more like logistical standpoint. We throw um, events, we have programming that touches on topics that are in of interest to our women. So um, we'll do like something around civic responsibility and voting and preparation for elections. Like how are you voting your, your priorities? Like who's, you know, if there's something, if we want to get to know a candidate better or something like that, we might try to interview somebody. Um, we've done things around specifically around pay equity, um, black pay equity. Um, a lot of the conversation too is about like 
when a lot of the equity work happens, especially in large corporations, and historically it's been about white women and not been about all women. So we've been having that conversation a lot too. Like, um, it's not just enough to have women at the table, period, even though that's a big deal. Um, it's still, you still within that bucket of women, we talk about the intersectionality and how these, how the things that are happening impact women, but also white women, um, black women, Latina women. Um, so that's really the work. Um, we have, we form groups, we have special interest groups, our women serve on boards, um, we focus on mentorship. Uh, there's a lot of data around mentorship too. Um, and this idea of the broken rung on the ladder where it's like women can't get promoted because they're not in managerial positions that would take them to the director level. And then there's even fewer in that level to be promoted to C-suite or CEO. So we do a lot of awareness both for our members, but also for the community around how to just build more equitable systems. Um, and we really believe if you if you can improve the lot for like the folks who are kind of most disenfranchised, it improves, it improves the life for everyone. So um, that's kind of the intention behind our focus. Uh, one thing I, I just speaking on the pay equity portion. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I, I guess I've seen it in theory. Like I, I kind of understand mm -hmm. why it occurs, but not really, if I'm honest. Yeah. I guess like in your experience, right? If you had to say, or your perspective, I guess, what do you think contributes the most? Or like, how does this happen, right? Because in my yeah. mind, if you look at, if you go on LinkedIn or some Indeed or whatever, mm -hmm. and you as a woman apply to this place and there's a salary, right? Like, mm -hmm. I always think like, you know, they're gonna pay you that salary. I guess, when does the pay equity mm -hmm. occur or like the disparity occur? Yeah. Because I, I guess I don't, I never really understood like how that happens, you know, like how that could, how, like how's that happened, especially in 2023? Yeah. Right? Well, think about how often salaries are discussed, like mm -hmm. publicly. Like they're not really. Yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't actually really know. That's like a discussion between the people hiring the supervisor. And then and then also the pay equity occurs when you're just thinking about who you're hiring. So if you're looking at like um, if you're saying there's like coded language, right? Like the people who are in the positions of power who are saying, well, I'm not discriminating. I just want to hire somebody who maybe went to my college and who played the same sports I did because we have an affinity and we're buddies. But like that's then you're hiring them. They're they're the ones that are at the table. Right. So now you're just looking at roles that are head that are led by usually white males um, in a lot of the larger institutions. But then there's also like the side on the women advocacy side, too, where it's like we're not like we're not taught our, or like we don't always understand our value in these spaces. And the things that women bring to a table are not always, um, they might, it might be like, think about hiring somebody maybe with a master's versus a bachelor's, right? It's like, you can get a master's in like certain things, but can you get a master's in like empathy and awareness about how to navigate the world as a black person? Like we're not giving out degrees on those things, but those might be what you're actually hiring people for and you're not paying them at all for for like those skill sets that they are that they are coming to the table with so um it happens when you're when you're negotiating and somebody devalues what you're bringing to the table and puts you at like maybe one level instead of another that's purely based on like their own interpretation of the value or the skill set you bring um or you don't or that you don't have yet um so that's why or when you think about performance review time how are people advocating for 
um, or really being clear with their manager. If they don't even have a relationship with their manager, what does that performance review look like? Do they feel comfortable or are they safe even asking for an increase? Um, so I think that that's, that's one way it happens. Like if, and then corporate, some corporations are doing more and more studies now that it's being talked about, but it's just something that people don't realize because it's not like, I don't know. Have you like you all could ask the women around you, like, what are they making, you know, compared to your job? And I think you'll find like that there have been some discrepancies and maybe they've been told at the point of higher, like that they're just they're on the lower level of that pay scale. So it's something that I think has happened over time just by the by the way that the system defaults. Um, and it's something that could be it could be fixed pretty simply by saying, looking at putting everything out on the table and saying, what are women making versus what are men making? Um, and, and, the, and some companies have done that. They've just given increases based on the, on the equity. So it happens with women. It happens with people of color. In addition to pay equity, what other outcomes would you say PD is trying to drive? Um, for me, it's about activate. It's like taking your leadership to the next level. So I look at my members and I say, like, what does it take to make you more conscious, more equitable, either as a leader um, or as someone who is reporting to a leader? How are you infiltrating your company to bring up topics that are impacting women? We've been talking a lot lately about um, domestic violence which actually doesn't make its way into like these professional conversations, um, which again is like, it's wild because talking about what's at the heart of topics like domestic violence, it's about worth and value. Um, it's about a system that allows you, and this is actually impacts everybody. It's this mindset that you need to stay somewhere that you don't feel like you belong sometimes and or like you don't know what the other side of your situation is like. And I feel like most people, men, men women, across the board can identify with that feeling of like, what's it like to be somewhere and not know what it looks like to exit if you wanted to make that choice. So that's the conversation I'm trying to bring more to the forefront and figure out how to have that conversation in like places where that conversation might feel taboo or like, but even think about what we say is taboo, like who's deciding what, what conversations belong in the workplace and not like, like why, why would that not be a conversation that you could talk to your boss about, right? People try to, you make stuff personal when you want to exclude it, when you don't want to deal with it. So um, that's something else that we're talking about is how we can be better advocates. I think we have work down the line that we want to do around like getting behind candidates or like supporting um, different legislation or things that could advance women. The Roe v. Wade conversation was a big one. There's a lot happening around like women, women's bodies um, and that's just having the autonomy generally to to talk about what we need, um, the policing of, of women's bodies. We have members being an organization that was founded in the 70s. We have members who were on the front lines of like Roe v. Wade when it when when everything was kind of at its genesis. And so for to watching them react to kind of the change and like the restrictions and the continuing um, legislation around limiting what's possible for women, that's been really tough. And that's been wanted that people have been wanting to get really active around that. So um, that's pretty much it. And then I, we do just have like kind of baseline professional development, like, you know, from basic, like how to find a mentor, how to find a sponsor, um, how to position yourself for the next role that you want, um, how to become a philanthropist, how to start building, you know, how to start thinking about wealth, like, you know, all those just, I would say like that feel like general life development, professional development spaces. Um, but then like just the end goal of connecting women. So 
it's like, I don't know what's going to come from your connection, but we need to be connected. And then what comes from it is what we'll get behind. So those are some other things that I think we think about pretty consistently. No, that's, that's dope. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, it sounds like you're the leader of a one prestigious, but two very uh, diverse uh, organization in terms of probably age and and, and race and everything else. Like, mm-hmm. how was that stepping into a leadership role as a young black woman? I'm just curious. Yeah. It was interesting. I'm glad you asked because I was a little nervous coming into like an all white organization with women who were like, you know, older than me and more established. Um, I developed such a um, strong relationship with my board. Like, and this goes back into like what women need to be successful. It's often things that are like, it's, it's often a community of women or mentors that are gonna block for you as you navigate these spaces. Um, so I always think about my present, my president, um, her name's Jamie Pratt. She was the president of the board when I came into the organization. And I felt like, so she was a white woman who was a part of like kind of the beginning of, of the organization. Um, 25 or so years and the way that she just showed up for me like that is what I wish for every woman and every person to experience the way that she allowed me to say the things that I was feeling um, read through the letters that I wanted to write to the membership like help to let me know like hey this is how what you're thinking or saying is going to be perceived I stand behind you and whatever you say I'm just letting you know how it's going to be perceived so you're not walking in blind to these situations because it's very much a it's still, even with women, like you're still, it's still a larger like organization and game that you have to navigate. Um, so it was, um, it's when I, when I came in, it was a couple months before um, Jacob Blake was shot in like in Racine. And so that was like a big conversation and like, I needed to make a statement. And this was like in the world, it was, this was in like the world of statements where people were just getting tired of large corporations and making these like statements that don't care about black people. And I was like, I can't be that now that I'm here, I can't be that like organization that's like now um, just making another statement. But I felt like I wasn't at the organization either long enough to like know what our action is. And so I did write a very intentional statement and I created a group for black women because I'm like, it's hard to lead and process. Like it's hard to lead and see your people being attacked, but have to like lead through that, you know? Cause like, you don't have the privilege of like being outside of it. You're like trying to process your own feelings around mm-hmm. it while also trying to talk about it. So um, I remember that being a big deal and, and um, having my whole board sign that statement versus it just being like, a collaboration between the CEO and like the marketing department, right? Like I, I'm yeah. like, I need every board member to sign this letter because I don't need anybody going out into the community and saying like, yeah, I don't know what she wrote. Like, but you know, it's like, no, your name's on it. So we all stand behind this. Um, so that was a big, that was a big deal early on when I first started where I realized like, whoa, I gotta like, I gotta find ways to compartmentalize or to process and heal while also trying to lead others. Um, Stemming from that, I created a, a group for just the black women in PD to get together. And that's still going like now two and a half years later, we still get on a Zoom once a month. There's no agenda, but it's just a screen full of black women, which we're all like, we all joke about because we're like, we don't see this in our work day ever. Like just a whole Zoom screen full of black people like uh, during the business day, um, talking about things that matter to us um, and just uplifting each other. So 
people, I got pushed back from that too. Like there were people who were like, why would you create a space? Like we've done so much to bring everybody together. Why would you create a space that pulls people apart? And it's like, that's not it. Like people are going to be able to engage better knowing that they have this group, um, being able to engage a lot with the large community because they feel like they have a space where they can be seen and heard. So it's just like little things like that, that you notice, like a lot of people paved the way for us to be here. So I need to be increasingly more disruptive, but careful um, to make sure that I'm pushing for change, but not um, losing people in that fight. So that was also a big one where it was like, I had some board members that were just like impatient. Like if so-and-so don't get it, then they can get lost kind of thing. And I'm like, well, then we will lose like our whole membership. <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's like, you gotta be, you gotta like, not that you wanna cater, but you gotta find the balance of like keeping that. That's why we're the most diverse women's business association because we're not just like kind of this bucket like you know of just one group it's it's the work of being of trying to serve multiple people so yeah that's that's kind of been the challenge and like the opportunity and being propelled into a leadership role like that yeah and that kind of transitions into the thing i want to talk about next is just like leadership um i believe in one year i think you were interviewing tunde i don't want to say her last yeah. from peloton yep. on mm -hmm. uh, and uh, one thing you spoke about is that how much you love talking about leadership. Yeah. And I guess, like, how do you define good leadership and, like, just speak about, like, the importance of communication? Because, as you just said, communicating to your board, you know, the importance of having these kind of separate groups is so important because you could you could sway yeah. them one way or the other. So I guess, you know, what 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 defines a good leader to you? And just talk about the importance of communication. Yeah. So. Man, um, communication is everything. Like I, and relationships, honestly, because relationships make communication easier because you don't have to feel the pressure of always trying to find the right words when you really develop a relationship with somebody. They can help work, help you through it. But um, I would say I've really been, my leadership, my definition of leadership is always evolving. I think about a leader as someone who can create more leaders um, and like leaders towards an end that serves all like leaders towards empowering the autonomy of others like that my like leadership definitions are always around like did not did you do something cool but were you a part of 10 other people doing something really cool um or really important or really necessary or really courageous um really bold that's kind of how i see it so like i i think about that a lot with like awards like i felt like i was just on like an awards train for a second where it's like what do these mean though? Like, you know, like what are these accepting them with all of the grace and all of the appreciation to step onto a platform. But like, what does this mean from a sense of leadership? I can't be the only one that's always here. I need my board. I need my members to like be doing the same thing that I'm doing. Cause we need to like scale, like I need to, we need to scale leadership. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it. And then from a sense of communication, it's like owning your narrative, like being able to say like, this is what I think is the most important thing for people to know. Um, and this is how we're all gonna get on board. It's like, and so much of what I'm doing is like organizing, you know, uh, we don't call it that because it feels more like, I don't know, it feels like, like, I don't know, it feels like more in the streets, like when we talk about like organizing and like more kind of radical, but it's really, that's what everything is, sales, all this stuff, it's like, trying to bring people around an idea and get people to move at the same time um, towards an end. And I think our ends are like equity and our ends are autonomy. 
um, and allowing people to allowing people to have a decision and a choice, a conscious decision and choice about how their life shakes out. Like that's what I want. That's and to me, leaders um, leaders equip people with that capacity. Like so, whatever the hands that you're dealt with, you have the choice about how you want to play it or how you want to shift it and how you feel about it. I'm not telling you how to feel about it. You get to make that choice. Um, and and the things that you do, thinking about other people while you do them. So that's kind of that's kind of how I feel like a, a leader is. And their ability to bring people on is rooted in their ability to communicate that and get people behind their mission. Let's just talk about the importance of having women in leadership roles and why that is so important to our society from your from your perspective. Uh, yeah, so good question. Um, Whenever you have, like I said, so I hope that most people can agree that like the way that the world was structured and created, it wasn't necessarily designed to benefit everyone. It was designed to benefit and maintain power in the places where it already existed. Meaning like black people who right, weren't humans, right? <laughs> like we were property, like women weren't even considered. Like only, a, like it's only, back back in the 70s right if we take it back to the 70s that's not that long ago i was born in the 80s in the 70s women couldn't open credit cards they couldn't like own land like they couldn't do anything without like a husband or you know being married they didn't have access to things like so when you take somebody with that kind of history and you think about what they've had to go through to like actually find success um just having that as a skill. That's where I feel like when I talk about like having a master's and just like a master's in being a woman, like that should be its own. That's what you bring to the table. Like you bring a certain level of resilience and knowledge. If you have, if you have found a way to navigate this, that that is necessary in leadership because a woman knows what it's like to be a woman and knows what it's like to live on kind of the marginalized side of society they make for better leaders because they're allowed, they know how to be more inclusive and they know how to be more conscious, um, more empathetic in a lot of those situations. And it's more of just like a natural thing that they have that um, we don't often get credit for. Like um, women, um, I always say, I always think about like mothers. I'm like, I want to hire, like, I would love to hire like women who are actively pregnant because it's like, I feel like when you're, you're, you're just so wired to care about not your not about yourself like or with parents like you're just like wired differently um, that I think gives you important skills that allow you to be a better leader and make better decisions like sometimes I think about you know easy things like you know they say women might be when we talk about professional a part of us our organization being called professional dimensions is like this idea that professional has been used to keep women isolated and keep them outside of like the important conversations, keep them away from the table. It's like, oh, your hair, not professional or your emotions. That's not professional. Like, you know, all those things like, but who's to say that, right? Like, because actually I would argue that having uh, emotional awareness and consciousness of your, your clients and being able to meet people where they're at is actually a very important skill to have. And so why are we, you know, why are we dimming those those skills um, and not accounting for those or, or using them or positioning them as like a weakness um, instead of like embracing that as like a strength that is not represented. Um, so it's like, for me, it's like, imagine 
just by way of not because they're born differently, but just by way of how society treats women um, and women of color and their ability to sustain has given them these powers like <laughs> that would allow them to be better managers in a lot of places or make not necessarily better, just different, different types of managers and make different types of decisions that are coming from different lines of sight. Um, something I compare it to is like, if you've ever been with someone who uses like a wheelchair or been a parent that has a stroller, you're positioned to see when something is accessible and when something's not, right? Like, you know, when you know where the, where the dent in the curb is, like, you know, where the ramps are, you know, where the elevators that are big enough or the elevators that are too small, but like a normal person walking down the street, or I shouldn't say normal, just a person that's not using a wheelchair or not pushing a stroller or not, um, not needing those types of, um, aids like they're not going to notice they're just like i just walked up on the like how many times do you think about that when you're just walking down the street like you're not thinking about the fact that there's a step or not or like necessarily how many steps there are to get into that building so that actually having been in that wheelchair or having pushed that stroller you're you see the world in a different way so when you're leading you bring that that line of sight into what you're doing and the decisions that you're making that make it more inclusive when you are more inclusive you have more ideas more innovation um, more unique ways to like actually build your business. So um, those are that's that's like kind of an example of why I feel like it's important to have women, um, and then women are able to advocate for everybody. So it's like they're able to advocate for women, and then like the world as it's set up is already there for others. So it's like you kind of just cover more of your basis, um, and you're able to bring more people up, and more ideas to the table. So that's. That's a big part of it for me, um, getting women more in those decision-making capacity, giving women more power um, and allowing them to kind of, allowing them to have more say in decisions that really impact everybody. Uh, you know, working in corporate America, there's always a new, and I don't, I don't mean this negatively, but there's always mm -hmm. like a, a new buzzword or a new yes. sort of focus, right? And one mm -hmm. that, that I've seen recently uh, is around allyship. And I guess I'm wondering, you know, how would you, how do you view allyship and what can men uh, mm -hmm. be doing better to support women in, in your opinion? Yeah. So allyship, I think is being able to show up for people in the way that, that they need and leveraging your power and access to um, advance somebody that doesn't have the same power and access. So um, I think about things like microaggressions, things that are just like, that just happen on a day to day. Um, being able to call those out, you know, when people say things or do things that don't quite feel right, it doesn't even mean that you have to like take it on the, you know, take it on as your charge, but just being able to question it. Like, um, I believe the best thing that anybody can do, whether they're trying to become an ally or just be there for others, it's just be conscious. It's just like, just be conscious. Like why, you know, it's not, it's not a judgment of what's right or wrong. It's about like, did you know that when you said that, like how that could have made somebody else feel um, or how that could, how you're building a, how you're contributing to the system that is like not good for people, right? Like, like we take it back to kind of like domestic violence. Like a part of the reason why that can exist is because people have said for years, like, oh, boys will be boys. Like, you know, or just, it's just things that we accept that we're just passing along. We have to understand that our default is going to be to uphold a white male um, system. So like, if you are default, if you are finding success, and that includes me, because anybody can uphold these norms. That's like, anybody is capable of upholding a system that 
marginalizes people. So it's like being conscious and saying, hey, how how I do the things that I do every day, like the calls that I make, how I'm, what I'm saying in my emails, how I'm showing up for people in spaces, like how are you building relationships with people who are different than you so that they can tell you like, hey, um, this this isn't sitting right with me or I don't like this thing that was said to me, like, and just invite, I would say for men, especially in women, since we're talking about those identities specifically, men being able to say like, hey, you got a safe space here. If there's anything that's going on that you want to talk about, like you could talk to me about it, like no judgment. And I will try to leverage whatever access or power I have to speak up on your behalf or, Hey, before we go in this meeting, like, did you have ideas or thoughts that you felt like really needed to be like emphasized or not repeating what somebody says, like co-signing what some, what a woman says, like, as Lauren said, like, I think Lauren made a really good point when she said, you know, like little things like that go a long way because it's it's helping people break that, break the way that they've been trained um, to just kind of like, we talk about, to just kind of listen to one opinion or just see things one way. Um, you can't tell you how many times you go out somewhere, you might be talking to someone or you might be a couple and then the person, if it's about money or something or or anything related to to property or they they direct their attention to like the man no matter what they don't even know who has the money or what's happening right like it's just like there's just natural things in those microaggressions that exist in our society that we would never notice if we weren't just being conscious and constantly questioning why we're doing things and so if it if if you're ever don't if you don't have that intention like where do you shop how are you spending your money like are you prioritizing women businesses um why are there no like women owned, you know, hotels or, you know, like large systems, they're not ran by women, right? Why are there small percentages of women on corporate boards, paid boards? Like it's just being conscious of those things and saying like, while you're not personally responsible for that, you are responsible because you're part of a system that is, a, is responsible. So I think it's just owning that and asking questions and, and opening the door to have that conversation with people. How did you know you were ready to be CEO? Um, it wasn't necessarily a sense of my readiness because I wouldn't say that I felt ready. I would just say that I felt compelled to act because I was tired of conversations about things. And I, I'm like, well, I need to leverage my relationships, my ability to steward relationships, um, my ability to have opinions and and bring people along and use that to like lead. So that's kind of what that's kind of that that's that logic is what made the decision for me it's, it's very clear to me that that you know you're a thought leader and you have a lot of uh different things that you've probably thought about in terms of uh the biggest uh issues facing our community mm -hmm. um, but i also suspect that you also have a sense of um solutions and how you can address uh mm -hmm. or begin to address some of those issues so you can pick any 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 you could pick anything, anything that's facing our community, uh, whether it's education uh, inequities or whatever, and then just propose what you think is a potential solution. Yeah. So right now, and I, I look at solutions like we talk all about your theory of change, like your what is the way that you get things done? And I feel like, yes, you can pick any scenario and I'm going to have the same answer as far as like how you solve for it. And it's really going to be about. Um, activating leadership around it and being in community with people. So like when you look at education, 
look at what COVID did, like when it shook up, the way that it, COVID shook up education. Like um, there were people who were creating their own schools and their own communities, um, like building school houses and, and allowing students from different ages who live in the community together to come in and get their education. That was like a, that was a targeted community um, invested in an outcome of making sure students were safe and learning and not losing, not losing their learning during the time that they were out. When you look at any of like the best things that have happened or most innovative things that happened, you're going to find the same, the same things behind it. It was like people got, people got fired up about something and then got together in a group, set out a plan to take it on and execute it. So for me, that's what it's, it's like, how do I put more leaders more people who, again, are willing to be courage, courageous, people who are willing to be bold, people who are willing to be inclusive and equitable and saying, like, let's solve for what we want to solve for. Because there's always going to be an issue. Like, there, there's always going to be an issue. There's always going to be a struggle. Um, but people need to really own what that looks like. And if you don't have the right people at the table, if you don't have the right power and access to the table, there's, I think that there's a lot of ways that power can be generated. I think there's power that's inherited by just the inequitable systems in the world. Like it's just like you were born into this power. Power is um, comes to the way of maybe your title. So you get a role and now you have like a certain power that's associated with it. But power is also in people uniting. So it's like there's lots of ways to figure out power. And that's not to put the blame and ownership on a group, but it is to say like any group at any moment can get together and actually make change that they want to see. So if it's like, if you want to go the traditional routes of like your county supervisor or your alder people, you know, elected officials um, and, and organizing around those places when it comes to education or workforce or mental health or physical health work, like whatever, any social determinant you want to name, um, it's all going to come back down to people, to community and people like advocating together um, for something that they want to see changed. And that's why I think we got so far in the civil rights movement. Um, that's where you see progress is any people just rising up to like take on whatever it is that's impacting them and creating their own reality. So that's what I want. That's how I would say that's the solution. That's how you solve for things. Mm -hmm. And I can tell, um, or at least you come across extremely genuine in terms of, uh, service to others and wanting to effectuate change in the community. Um, where does that come from? I think it comes from what I was exposed to. I think like I, whenever we do anything, it's because it's been positively reinforced in our lives. And so I've had positive interactions with what comes from being in community with people. I've had, I've had results that have come from being in community with people. So that's the way that I do things. And like, I, and I feel like you can approach that with Service is the best way when people talk about, well, how do you get to know people? Like everybody I know how I was able to navigate the business community was because I was on boards. Like I served on boards. Like I got to know people. Um, I think sometimes we get lost in this, like, I know my worth and I'm going to charge for everything versus like, what's it like to just be an apprentice and go learn with people? Like even DJing, like I learned that from just being in community. I, I became a DJ from just literally showing up at events and people asking me to do music, right? Like, cause I came in there and said, I'm here to serve as needed. I want, I want this event to be successful. So if you want me to pass out the program, sit at the registration table, speak, 
play music, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. I always ended up in the playing music part. And then that became a whole business. Like everything that I have is because I started with just saying, here's what I have. Here's what I can do. Here's what I'm decent at. What do you want me to do? No, that's, that's all spot on. I started, <clears throat> I started laughing this side because I'll be honest for a second, uh, few years ago it took me a, a second to realize that dj lolo and lauren were the same <laughs> were the same person like that, yeah. that, that's that's like how strong a two brands you've built right where i was like wait that's the same person like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that actually that actually goes to my question because i think you know i guess how do you balance the two brands right like lauren feature the ceo and dj lolo which have both have great followers right like they're both respected individuals but i guess like how do you balance the two because they're 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 kind of different i guess when you're a dj right like you're your own ceo you're kind of yeah uh, it's a business how, yeah yeah it's a business how do you balance the two and, and stay true to yourself in, in both in both scenarios man it's tough it's tough i've recently had like a lot of struggle with that um mm. and a lot of that comes with just like again people societies perceptions and even women like like the microaggressions that come from a woman, like publicly having more than one job when it's like, we always have more than one job. Like as women usually, and most people, like when, if there was a man that was a CEO and then was also a DJ, people are like, wow, that's so cool. Like that's dope that Larry is like a CEO and he DJs. But like when it's like Lauren shows up as a CEO and DJ is like, Ooh, is, can she do both jobs? Well, like, is, is PD struggling? If she spends too much time, you probably shouldn't. And I've had people who love me tell me that like, Hey, as you advance in leadership, you're going to have to stop DJing. Cause like people are going to, you know, cause of what people are going to think, right. Or assume, or like not understand. I also think some of that is like Milwaukee, to be honest. I, I love the city, but I'm like, if you were in Atlanta or Chicago or LA, like people wouldn't think anything. I, I feel like people aren't, as judgmental when it comes to like, well, what's, what's your capacity to do X, Y, Z? Like, how can you do these things? Um, like the answer is like, one, there's a lot of, there's so much of what I have also professionally comes from DJing. And like, that's because music and art is such a beautiful way to build connections with people and get to know people and get to, and get to experience very intimate times in people's lives. Like I'm at people's weddings, like I'm at corporate events, you know, internal meetings for different corporations, like, um, you know, like community events and spaces. I, I rely on DJing to almost like to keep me like in the streets, you know what I mean? Like, like literally and figuratively, like keeping a presence on like the decisions that are being made over here in the CEO space. Like we think we're doing the right thing, but if it's not making its way, you know, if I'm going over here DJing and you don't know what professional dimensions is, then like, that's a problem. So like, how am I actually keeping the work equitable is sometimes through my DJ capacity. And so, um, I like to balance it. I, I like, I've been doing a lot more women events. Like I've been doing a lot more spaces that are like convening women, um, in my DJing, but I've also just been DJing a little bit less. Um, but yeah, because DJing is like a hobby and a passion, I don't take it. Like I get to, it's, it's more of like a release for me than it is like another job. So I get to be really selective about the gigs I, I, I choose and like I can kind of do it or not do it based on how my calendar is looking at on the, on the CEO side. This has been really great. And I, I like I said, I know you enough to kind of know this is how you are, but it's dope mm -hmm. to like actually hear you articulate and 
like talk about the things you do on a day to day. Um, but as a, as a black woman, um, one thing I want to ask, and you know, for women that listen to our podcast, is just like, what's some what's some advice you would give to like young black women, and what's some advice you would give to your younger self? Yeah, um, I would say really just know your worth, like all of the things that you might think or it may have been framed as as weaknesses there's always there's always strengths in those things um it's just about how they're messaged and how they're packaged and i would say really study those things the things that you're good at the things that you can build you can get just as far building on the things that you're good at than like focusing on the things that you're not good at and trying to transform them there's a lot of like research out there that actually says it's actually better to focus on your strengths um, and building those than focusing on the areas that you aren't aren't strong and trying to like change those. It's about it's about knowing what you're knowing what to do in those moments. I would also say it's so important to be a part of an active community of other women, um, both black women, but also like diverse women um, like we need each other and we need to learn from each other's experiences in order to advance um, and we need the backing of each other. So those would be kind of my two things for my two little nuggets for black women is like know your value know your worth build community with each other um i think that there's also like a lot of there's a lot of things that would push us to do otherwise um it can get to be a very competitive space um a lot of times black women will feel like there's only one seat at the table for the for the black woman i see a lot of that in milwaukee too it's like once you got your one black woman you got your woman and you got your person of the color so that's it um, but there can be more seats at, the, at any table. Um, so I really would love to see more women, especially black women, just plugging each other, um, connecting each other, working together um, and working through not, not getting distracted by kind of who society wants us to be, um, but actually believing that there's power in like our village. Um, there's so much power in our village and our um, and, and mutual strength. So that's what I would say. And then, um, Younger self, don't go to the College of Agricultural Life Sciences. <laughs> Stick to LNS where there's some people of color up in there that can tell you like what you need to be doing. Um, I would say I would have pushed myself to travel a little bit more like in college. Um, mm. I think I would have loved to have had a more real study abroad experience just because the exposure um, that comes from those types of experiences is priceless. Um, other than that, I would say just keep going. Like, you know, keep keep doing what brings you joy and keep building community around people who will allow you to be happy and be yourself. Like I, I have to say, this is this has been a great interview. I I appreciate it so so much about you, and I've great. I mean, I already appreciated you to the highest extent, but like this has pushed me to another level where I I genuinely am happy that I know you and I, I can call you a friend. And you know, with whatever it is, uh, you know, you're always willing to just help out and just talk to us, join this podcast, make time. Like I'm just thankful to to know you and just to know that you're continuing to do the service and that's probably how you'll always be. Just knowing that there's somebody in Milwaukee that's like gonna wake up every day and do that is is so yeah, I appreciate from, that. So so I'm so thankful for a person like you. Um to, to I appreciate that. Like that for real. Likewise. Yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, it can be hard, you know, scheduling these podcasts while also yes. struggling, you know, everything that we've got going on in our lives and um, conversations like this, getting to know people like you, uh, it makes it worth it. And I'm, I'm not just saying that, like, I, I really, <clears throat> I 
I really I'm, I'm leaving this conversation sort of inspired by the work you're doing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and honestly, like, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's it's refreshing to know that there's someone out there that's doing it and and they're sincere about it because mm-hmm. yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of people that are, that aren't. If I'm being you yeah, know, being that's frank, real. that's real. Uh, and and I can tell you're not chasing headlines and things like that. Rather, you're getting that stuff mm-hmm. organically because of because of who you are, and I think that's dope. I appreciate that. No, thank you all. And if there's anything like y'all are, I'm doing this because y'all invited me and y'all are doing very important work outside of your real jobs. Like y'all are bosses individually, but the fact that you're pouring into community, that's the type of stuff that I want to see more of. And so I feel like we have to celebrate and, and salute what we want to see more of because we become what we celebrate. So I want to just like celebrate and uplift this um, and y'all because this is, this is how you make change. So thank you all for choosing to be leaders. Um, That's really important. No, we become...